Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com as well. You can visit them at that website or at their location on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, joined by Don Callahan and Buck Sanders, bringing the listeners the most recent hottest takes on UNC football recruiting. Guys, the weather is about to turn real bad over here, but the weekend was pretty well. It's been a while since we talked. Buck, how things going for you, man? Awesome. It's beautiful here in uh, the Grand Strand of uh, South Carolina, uh, looking out my window and to some azalea bushes. Uh, life could not be better, my buddy John, Oh, the who's azalea. always so kind to me and respectful. Always. <laughs> the azaleas, I, I know Buck's already got the masters on his mind. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And then, Don, what about you, man? Getting ready for some golf? Are you that big of a golfer? I am absolutely not a golfer whatsoever, but I really feel like I'm there with Buck with the way he describes his background and his settings. I'll see. I'm over here, I guess, east of see, you guys. See, Don never says hurtful things to me, Don. <laughs> no, but you just get mad at Don when he doesn't provide the scoops. That's, that's Well, I don't get mad at him. I just remind him. And that uh, invitation never comes. One day, one day. Well, look, I mean, recruiting is still just continuing to rock and roll during the offseason, guys. Um, we're going to get to that in just a bit. But first, let's go ahead and, as is tradition, let's knock out our top five list. And before we get started on the one for this podcast, I missed a submission from last week. So I want to give a very quick shout out to Rick from Winston-Salem, who gave us his list of five games he would like to see. Very sorry that I missed that, Rick, but here is your official shout-out. But as for the wide receiver list that we were going to do for this podcast, Don, why don't you remind everybody what the criteria was for this one? Well, we gave you the six wide receivers that UNC had offered who actually have actually visited campus and wanted you to kind of rank them one through five. Obviously, you're leaving one guy off. I do want to point out something that um, has been brought to my attention, that we have been neglecting our... um, our drum roll for our number ones. And we haven't done that in months, actually. So I'm surprised the that it took The weakest drum roll in the history of drum roll. <laughs> well, uh, I guess people must and, like it. All right. We'll, 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 we'll work on it. We'll do it today. Well, I'm look, down with it. But, it's Buck's weak, says, but I'm down with it. And you say I say hurtful things. Wow. Wow. Well, it is very weak. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> A pinprick right to the heart. I mean, but Don, this is why we brought Buck in, so he could he could correct us on, on everything that we were doing wrong before, see? Well, I don't know if he corrects. I think it's just constructive criticism. We'll go with that. All right, but anyway, so for this one, yeah, it was the wide receiver list. And Don, did we get a response from the listeners for this one? Yes, we got three, and we can always count on our good buddy, uh, Jonathan from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, and Dale from Waxhaw to always uh, contribute. But before I get to their submissions, do you want me to give you the next one? Or did you guys have another idea for next one? Yeah, go ahead and give us your next one so we can get that out there to people that are listening. All right. So very similar to this one, we'll do top five defensive backs. Uh, the the list that we have, you can just go on Inside Carolina's recruiting board to, to actually see it, but I'll give it to you guys real quickly. Uh, Cameron Roseman Sinclair. Lamarian James, both those guys are UNC commits. Jaquarius Conley, Isaiah Fisher-Smith, Keontae Jenkins, Malik Faust, and Malcolm Green. As I said, all, all seven of those guys are um, on Inside Carolina's uh, recruiting board if you want to go back and um, if, if you can't remember a name or, or so. Um, but uh, you don't have to rank all seven. Just give us five. All right. But here I'll go to our three submissions. We'll start with John since he always makes sure he he sends in every single week for every single um, ranking we have. In order, he has Michael Wyman, Moose Muhammad, Josh Downs, Keandre Lambert, and Ray Greer. And then John from North Carolina. John has actually been um, pretty strong lately sending in submissions, I think the last few times, but we don't know exactly where he's located. That just says North Carolina. So, so I'm sorry, Paul. So, Paul, we need to know your location in uh, North Carolina. But Paul's uh, top five in order are 
Josh Downs, Ray Greer, Mike Wyman, Moose Muhammad, Keandre Lambert, and last but certainly not least is Dale from Waxhaw, also a uh, regular contributor. His top five in order, Mike Wyman, Keandre Lambert, Ray Greer, Moose Muhammad, and Jari Patterson. The one thing I noticed, and I'm sure everybody listening has noticed, is that there's a lot of differing opinions on this. So I think it's going to be interesting with the three of us. Anything else that pops out to you guys? Not really. I think that you kind of hit it right there, Don, that there is a lot of difference between those three lists. And um, I should think that this might be the one list on that you and I do not have someone in the exact same spot. We'll see. Yeah. I guarantee you my list is going to be way different than anybody else's. So there's that. Yeah, I think I'm pretty confident my list is going to be pretty different because there are certain guys who once I kind of really, really, really watched their film – and kind of dug deep and ranked them and, and, and graded them on a bunch of different aspects. There were some guys who came up a lot higher than I thought and lower than I thought. Well, I'll tell you what, Buck, how about we put Don on, on the spot here since he's the recruiting expert. Let's make him give us his top five before we give ours. How's that sound? I'm down with that. <laughs> all right, Don, take it away. So you want me to give you all five or just number five? Let's just go ahead and do all five. That way we can kind of roll through these and we can digest the list as a whole. All right. My number, I'll start from five and go all the way up to one. Uh, Number five is actually a guy that everyone had a little bit higher than me, Mike Wyman. Uh, Obviously, you know, the thing with him, he's 6'4", 195 pounds. So he has the the size. Um, You know, I think he's a possession receiver. In the high school level, you'll see um, he's able to get away from guys, break tackles, and um, kind of take screen passes the distance. I don't know if he has the speed to do that on the the college level, but I think that he'll definitely be a very good uh, possession guy, a guy who um, can can definitely spread the field and and kill a defense vertically. My number four is Jari Patterson. Um, I really like this film. I mean, he's a guy who is kind of like you could do a lot of different things with. And you can even give him a, a short pass, and he's built like a running back, so he can he can you know break some tackles, use his speed to um, you know to to go the distance. the The thing with him is when you watch his film, you know that the competition he's going up against isn't the greatest, um, and his team is always one of the better teams in the mountains. But um, you know, I really like his film. I think that at the very least, he he's a guy you want on your roster. Number three for me is a, is a, a UNC. Verbal commitment, Josh Downs. Got to see him in person at the, the Nike opening regional in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, the main thing with him is speed. I mean, he's just off the charts speed. We talked about it the last couple podcasts, I think, where he uh, he clocked the fastest time in the 40-yard dash among the, the wide receivers in attendance at the camp and then beat the top or the fastest defensive back in a race. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's uh, – a dangerous score anytime he touches the ball. You can do a lot of different things with him as far as give him the ball in jet sweeps, you know, short uh, short screens. Um, he also has a speed to take the top off the defense. Number two, Ray Greer, who I feel like is definitely the rawest of this group. But also with that, he has the highest ceiling. I mean, you can tell when you watch his film, he's he hasn't been coached up with the finer things as a wide receiver. And a lot of that is he's, he plays in a system at South Point High School, which has been running the triple option since since I've been covering uh, high school football in North Carolina, which is a very, very, very long time. So he's, you know, so they obviously are more focused on other things than uh, their, their wide receivers, but they have definitely added that element to their, to their offense because of the fact they have this elite wide receiver. And I mean, he's just, He's so physical, um, but yet, you know, has good hands, good body control. Can You could do a lot of different things with him. And my number one, Moose Muhammad. When I put the film on for him, I really loved his you know, hands, his route running. I mean, he's the complete opposite of Ray Greer as far as you talk about. Um, he, he's just so polished as a, as a wide receiver. And, I mean, that's to be expected because his father is – Moose Muhammad, who played in the NFL for however many years for the Panthers and the Chicago Bears. But, you know, Moose is a guy that whatever you need him to do inside, outside, he can do. He's a danger to catch the ball. He makes catches in in, um, in traffic. I mean, he's just he just and he even blocks. And there's some blocking in there, which um, just kind of shows his his selflessness. So what do you guys think? 
Well, I'm going to jump in and uh, John can jump in, you know, after me if he'd like, but let me get this straight. Uh, The, the person that you chose not to rank at all is Deandre Lambert. That is correct. And, And why is that? I just, um, it wasn't anything negative against him. You know, I had to obviously bump someone out. And, um, I mean, any, anything I say is just going to sound like I'm trying to slight the kid. And that's not, that's not my, my goal here. I just, I just like the, the other five more. You know, he's, he's a good player. He's a long player. Um, he has that, uh, that long stride, which helps him with uh, you know, creating separation and taking the top off the defense. But I just, if you were to ask me if I would rather have him or any of those other five guys, I would take those other five guys first. But that doesn't mean he's a bad player whatsoever. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and say our lists are going to be very much different uh, to some extent. And I'll let John jump in with his list next and any other comment he has on Don's list. So are we saving the best for last with leaving Buck for last? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. That sounds good. You're so nice, Don. You're just the nicest guy. I'm not going to hurt anyone's feelings in this podcast, that's for sure. See, and this is why you're the best in the business, Don. You know how to just completely smooth over everything. You've always got the answer for every question right there. (laughs) That's that expert level. I'm eager to hear John's list. Well, so we were so close to having different lists, Don. We actually had one guy in the exact same spot. Again, our streak continues. Uh, I actually thought it was interesting that you had Mike Wyman at number five. That was the most interesting thing to me out of your list, but I'll give my five and just to run through it kind of briefly, I had uh, Ray Greer, number five, Keandre Lambert, number four, Mike Wyman, number three, Josh Downs, number two, and drum roll, da, 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 Mushin Muhammad, the third at number one. As Don was going through his, I was like, all right, that's different. That's different. That's different. And as you got to number two and it was not Muhammad, I just knew it. It was like, he's going to have number one. So there you go. Um, we're still on the same wavelength, my friend. But just to kind of go through these guys, you know, with, with Greer, I put him at number five, Don, because of the exact same reasons why you had him kind of lower on your list as well, is just his rawness. I really like his potential, but with, with Greer, I mean, you can tell that he's going to be something of a possession wide receiver. He's got some speed as well at the college level. I think at this point, he just needs a lot of work. It's going to take a college offense and a college OC some time just to get him used to running the routes that he's going to be required to run in college. So that's why I had him at number five. You know, Keandre Lambert, I think that you kind of hit it as well, Don, when you said he is a long stride type of guy. I was actually very impressed with his film, more so than what I thought, because going into it, I kind of thought he might be my number five guy, but then looking at it, I just felt it, he, his overall film was more impressive than Greer. Mike Wyman, number three. I mean, that kid is, I think, I, I, actually, he has the most potential out of anyone, I would say. Because Wyman at his size and even though the speed, you know, I don't see that as too much of an issue, actually. I think he will still be able to translate as someone who can run away from from defenders at at the college level. And, you know, Wyman, I'm just I'm very, very impressed with, with with his ability to just go up, catch the ball. So I had him at number three and I think my number two, Josh Downs. Two weeks ago, I would have had Wyman and Downs flip-flopped. But after the way that Josh just killed it at the camp in Atlanta, I mean, showing the separation, showing the speed, showing the hands, everything. And I know that number two may seem high for a guy who's sub 5'10", if we're being honest. But I just think that especially given North Carolina's offense and the role that he can play, I mean, I see him as the Switzer clone, and Switzer, for his size, put up great numbers for Carolina, and I think Downs can, can do the exact same thing. Mohammed, number one, what more can you say about the kid? He is a complete wide receiver package. I think there's a little bit of a distance between him and the rest, so he would be my number one want, and he is my number one of my, my wide receiver rankings. So, guys, let's hear your thoughts on my list. 
I, I mean, I like it. I don't think ours are too different other than the fact that uh, Greer, you had him five and I had him two. That's really all the other guys are just a couple of spots here and there. The one thing I want to just, uh, I guess, go back to Buck's question. Um, I think the main thing with Lambert is he's a solid guy all around, but there's not like one thing that just sticks out about him. Whereas if you look at Wyman has the size, Downs has the speed, Greer has this this high ceiling. Moose Muhammad does everything well and, and is going to be, you know, he's ready-made to, to start from day one. Um, Patterson is a guy who could do a lot of versatility. Lambert, solid guy, really good, but everybody else seems to just have something something special uh, that they can kind of latch on to. But I'm, I'm really eager to hear Bucks um, see wh- where he went with his list. Well, okay, so I, I really – want to caveat my list very heavily because you know for a lot of reasons um one thing is that uh maybe guys just have very sucky huddle film producers um maybe um you know they have sucky quarterbacks maybe they have um sucky competition i mean there's a lot of things that go into it and so there's no uh, real mystery here that there should be some deviation uh, in in these lists. And so with that in mind, I'll get started on mine. But I just want to say that uh, even though I looked at all their film, uh, I looked at it for several hours. Um, and, and I'm going to start with a guy that I didn't rank, and that was Mike Wyman. And I'll tell you why. I mean – uh, he's, he, no doubt he is a huge target. Um, but most of the time he is catching contested throws. Uh, if you watch his film, very seldom is there a lot of separation between him, uh, and the guy that's covering him. Um, he, he also doesn't have a lot of yak after, um, you know, he catches the ball and that could be due to his quarterback because, a lot of the catches, I'm not saying all of them, but uh, quite a few of them, uh, he's diving for the ball, and, and so he catches it, and he's down. So, And the other thing is he's got almost no production at the high school level. I mean, like his best year is 600 yards receiving, and and maybe that's a function of the, the offense that they run. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, in terms of production – as a sophomore and a junior, he's got like a thousand yards. The thing that Mike Wyman has going for him is that he has a awesome offer list. Now, obviously, people are seeing things that I'm not, but or, or they wouldn't have him ranked that high. He's also the highest ranked guy in this list. But nothing that I saw on film made me say, "Wow!" You know, he's six four. Uh, 195, uh, he's got a lot of things going for him, but almost no high school production and the other things that I mentioned. So now to the five that I did rank, I put Ray Greer last. Uh, he does make, uh, some 50, 50 catches. Uh, One thing I like about him is he returns punts. And if you return punts, you know, that's, I think a, a good sign because that's a sign that. Uh, his coaches believe he's really good in the open field. Uh, and he he really does have a, a good focus on the ball. He concentrate has good concentration and really good hands. I wonder about his speed. The only recorded speed I could find, he ran like a 4.74, which is not great at the college level. So I had him number five. Number four, I had Josh Downs. Uh, another punt returner. Um, his speed is obvious. And one of the things I like about him is that in his film, uh, they show him doing very well against press coverage and off coverage. Um, he has very good open field awareness. He runs to where there's no defenders. Um, he's played some slot, they, but they split him out at times. So I ranked him number four. The guy that Don did not even rank um, Patterson, I had him number three. And the reason why is because, uh, he does catch some 50, 50 balls, but he always is aware of and uses good leverage, um, when he's running his routes, 
He also played DB, which I, I think is a huge plus. Where he's playing ball, they run a whole lot of wide receiver screens, and they throw the ball to him a lot out of those screens, and he does very, very well with it. Also a punt returner, also has good open field awareness, and he runs the ball as well out of the backfield. He's had 2,000 yards receiving in the last two years and has run the ball for another three, 400 yards in that period of time. So he has really good high school production. I know Don mentioned that he may not play against the greatest competition, but uh, just just based on what I saw, I'd, I'd rank him third out of the wide receiver film that I saw, considering the caveats I gave, I gave initially. Um, so that, that's where I had Patterson. The one other thing I'd mentioned about him it is he has really quick acceleration. Uh, he, he has, you know, he's more like a, uh, six speed Porsche as opposed to a three speed stick shift. You know, he can go from following his blockers to a quick burst of speed very quickly. And I like that about him. So my top two, um, I had uh, Musin Muhammad III at number two, uh, and he is a extremely multi-talented player. Um, he's a good blocker. He's you know obviously could catch the ball. He throws the ball out of the backfield. He runs you know uh, like a deer, very smooth, fluid, very polished guy. Out of all the guys on this list, I'd say he's the most polished. That's probably uh, shouldn't be uh, come as a surprise to anybody because of his, uh, you know, his heritage. You know, he's probably been learning to run routes since he was three years old. So uh, very fluid, smooth, polished uh, wide receiver. And, and I agree with Don. He's probably uh, somebody that gets playing time as a true freshman and wherever he goes. And the guy that Don left off his list, uh, Keandre Lambert, I had number one on my list. Um, and it, I'm just basing it off what I saw on film. And if you watch his film, somehow he manages to get separation from his defender on every catch. One or two exceptions in his film where there's a receiver close enough to him to actually make a play on the ball. But 90% of the time, people are diving and reaching, trying to get to him because he's gotten separation uh, off the snap every single time. Uh, he also plays defensive back, and he's really good at it. I could see him being a really good defensive back at the next level. Also, a really good blocker, uh, which memoed every receiver out there doing – uh, highlight films show a little film of your guy being a really good blocker and, and Lambert is one of those guys and in uh, air raid system a spread system throwing those wide receiver screens and all the rest being a good blocker is a really good um, trait to have also uh, has a 36 inch vertical uh, so you know he's got great leaping ability and I think he has really good at, you know, body control. So in contrast to the guy that left him off his list, I had him number one on my list. And those are the reasons why. Hey, I, I, I love the fact that we have different opinions on it because I think it would be really boring if the three of us read off the same exact list or very, very slightly different list. So no, I mean, I, I think it's good. And I think I, I really liked a lot, Buck. you could tell, and this is not this is not a butt kissing. I, you could tell Buck does his research when he does this stuff. So um, the the viewers should be happy with that. But a lot of things I agree with, particularly with Wyman. Wyman was the one when I did this, and I was like, man, I like these other guys more than Wyman. And I had the same opinion I think that Buck had, where you're looking at the rankings, you're looking at the scholarship offers, and you're like, I just what am I missing here? And I I, I probably spent a lot of time watching Wyman's film just because I was trying to find. What is it that I'm missing that all these offers? And I think the offers too. A lot of his offers actually came before he actually was was much of a um, much of a player um, on his his high school team, uh, just because of his size. And he comes from 
one of the best high school programs in North Carolina um, that has produced a lot of uh, really good players that have gone on to play college ball. So I think a lot of that kind of helped him raise his profile and get some scholarship offers. Not to say that he's not deserving. He's definitely deserving of them because you look at his size um, and he can catch and, and all that. I think um, one point, though, that Buck made that I thought was really good was the, uh, the contestant. And I think that speaks to you know, everyone. When you're watching the film, you, you, when you're looking at speed, you're looking, okay, when he catches the ball, is, does anybody catch it from behind? But I think that the fact that a lot of his, his catches are contested are a sign that he's not able to create that separation. And some of that, yes, is there's other aspects to creating separation, but some of it is speed. And on the high school level, if you are a D1 guy, you should be able to use your speed to create separation. Did you have any thoughts on, on Buck's list, John? I just thought that Buck did a really good job explaining all of his choices. I mean, it was obviously a lot different than my list. And both of you guys have Wyman lower down your list than than I do. And maybe I'm just falling in love with just his size and and kind of what I can see maybe him developing as kind of like a Dwight Jones type wide receiver for Carolina who just had a really good college career. Um, The rest of it, though, I mean, you know, hey, look, it's one of those things where all of us are watching film and Everyone comes to different conclusions, and that's how it goes in regular recruiting. So that's how it is on the podcast, and I think it's a good thing, like you said, Don. I'm going to challenge you guys to to go back and look at the film on Lambert and watch where his defenders are when he catches the ball. More often than not, they're not within two yards of him. And to me, at the, at the college level, to be a really successful receiver, it's great. It's a great attribute to be able to catch those 50-50 balls. But in an air raid system and a spread system, it's a much better characteristic to have to find ways to get separation between yourself and a defender. So I'll ask you both to, at some point, go back and look at Lambert's film. Maybe we'll touch on it next week. Uh, and, and just keep an eye on where his defenders are when he catches the ball. It looks I, like he's a wide-open receiver every single time he makes a catch. Like I always do with every assignment you give me, Buck, I will do it 100%. That's all we can ask for. All right, guys. Well, hey, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break. And when we get back, let's go ahead and talk about UNC's latest addition to their recruiting class, a little bit of a roundabout way, but still a very big addition to the football program. We'll touch on that and a few other topics when we come back right after this. Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are a part of the family. They are your place to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's johnnytshirt.com. So even if you live out of and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina-related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, johnnytshirt.com, and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking some UNC football recruiting. And, you know, Buck, I'm actually going to start with you on this one because when the news broke that UNC was going to add the four-star rated cornerback Cameron Kelly to this class. You know, what was your initial take on that? You know, uh, on a Tarpit premium message board, it's very common to see um, people comment and, and keep an eye on people that are transferring, entering the transfer portal, you know, making that announcement, and there will immediately be a thread or two talking about, well, this guy is transferring. And when I initially saw it, I, you know, I treated it at, you know, in the, 
basket of, uh, you know, threads that, that touch on subjects like that, you know, taking it really, you know, with a grain of salt. And then as, you know, the further it got into it and it appeared that, you know, he wanted to transfer to somewhere he could be closer to his family. Apparently his mother and his sister both have health issues and he wanted to be within driving distance of them. You know, that made it a little bit more intriguing. And then you, you notice that, you know, uh, different people connected with UNC football started following him on Twitter, um, which I, I think is, is one of the great tripwires we have these days. If we have a, if there's a recruit out there that, uh, you know, expresses interest in UNC as a recruit or if, if uh, they're in the entering the transfer portal and somebody, you know, connected with the UNC football program all of a sudden becomes a Twitter follower, you know, that's sort of a tripwire that there's some interest there. And, of course, I keep a, uh, an eye out on Don Callahan. If he starts to follow somebody, then then I know, hey, this is a real deal. So um, that's how I reacted to it initially. And then as it came together, it began to make more and more sense. And it, it really is, and I'll let Don talk about it, but that's a huge get for UNC uh, joining the class of uh, 2019. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of, I guess, continue – Buck's thought. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a four-star guy. He's a guy who is ranked in the top 247, which is the top 247 prospects in the entire nation. Um, you know, he's a uh, at a position of need, which usually it's uh, usually it's the opposite. Usually when you have a position of need, you, you end up, uh, it's, it's other positions, you end up having opportunities to land guys um, or have guys kind of fall in your lap because of the circumstances. So um, yeah, I mean, he's he's a tremendous ad for North Carolina. And he's a guy that um, that you know you will. I think he's going to get on the field. Um, I don't think he'll start right away, but I think he's going to get on the field for North Carolina. Um, a lot of that obviously depends on what happens with uh, his uh, his waiver, um, because technically he has to sit out this coming season because he had enrolled in classes at Auburn. But um, and I'm sure he's already applied for the waiver to um, to bypass that. And uh, if you just have watched the news as far as uh, uh, transfers getting those sort of waivers, it's been it's been a pretty high prob- pretty high chances um, for other guys. I, I can't think of any recently who have been denied. So um, so yeah, so it's something to monitor. But I think that um, as soon as he's able to play for North Carolina, he'll definitely be on the field. Don, let me ask you this: because Kelly was in the transfer portal. How does it work with recruiting those guys? Like, are the rules basically the same as when they were uncommitted prospects? Is the contact legislated differently by the NCAA? Like, what is the actual process by which the coaches can reach out to these guys and say, hey, we want you to come to our school and hopefully end up landing them? Well, this is the change that took place within the last however many months with the transfer portal is that as soon as and all, all the recruit has, all a, a player has to do is they don't have to say anything to their coaching staff. They go to the compliance department and ask to be placed in the transfer portal. And once that happens, it's free range. Anybody can um, reach out to him and contact them in the past before the transfer portal, which is only a year ago is that you had to go to your coaching staff and they had to release you. And then there was usually conditions to that release, which usually meant you could, you could only go to certain schools. Some of those, some of those schools that you couldn't go to end up being schools that were on the, uh, the team's upcoming schedules, um, usually conference uh, teams, maybe some team that, that they might think there might be some sort of um, uh, work behind the scenes, illegal work behind the scenes they might block you from. But now once you're in the transfer portal, it's, it's, it's open season and anybody can contact those recruits. And, and obviously um, North Carolina was one of the ones who contacted uh, 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 Cameron Kelly. Well, and I agree with you that his addition is going to be huge and hopefully he does get that waiver, but you know, Buck in talking about the transfer portal, it was the topic of one of your recent buck stops here where the NCAA and in its infinite wisdom is talking about changing that rule that they 
just changed a couple of years ago. And I'll just let you take it from there and give your thoughts on what the NCAA is proposing to do with this situation. Yeah, the what they're talking about uh, doing at the NCAA doesn't wouldn't really affect uh, Cameron Kelly's situation. They're uh, thinking about changing the grad transfer rule, which in very stupid ways, in my opinion. What they're saying is that if you accept a grad transfer to your program, they have to graduate from that grad transfer program in one year, or they're also on scholarship for year two. And it doesn't apply to uh, your own grad transfers. And so if somebody graduates at UNC and they want to play, they haven't exhausted their eligibility and they want to play the next year, no problem. They can just enroll in grad school and away they go without being penalized at all if they don't uh, get through the program within a year. And in addition, uh, it only applies to football and men's and women's basketball. So the rationale for the rule seems absurd in so many instances that I can't believe they're considering it. Uh, It doesn't make sense to me. Um, The NCAA does some very inexplicable things. There's got to be some uh, machinations behind the scenes from certain programs that say, well, you know, we don't want our kids to transfer if, if they're not getting playing time and, uh, you know, go to some other school just to play football. And, you know, it's, it's for certain that uh, certain college football players game the system in a sense that they're, you know, the number two right guard on their team going into fall camp. And they know they're not going to get a chance to play very much. If the guy in front of them stays healthy, they're a senior, they've got their degree. So they want to transfer from, uh, you know, school X to school Y that really needs some interior line help. And, and they know they'll have a good shot at starting right away. Uh, and, and have the, you know, the potential to, uh, play so well at, uh, in their new environment that they would, uh, attract the attention of pro scouts, or maybe it's a situation where their particular school doesn't offer a, uh, graduate program in the thing that they would like to, uh, pursue. And at the same time, they'd like to, they have eligibility, eligibility left and would uh, like to continue to play football. So it's a very um, perverse, in my opinion, rule change. And one that, you know, there's a lot of things the NCAA should consider changing and, and uh, making uh, tweaks to, but I don't think the graduate transfer rule is one of them. I agree with Buck with everything you said. I just think in general, no matter what, I mean, the, the, the whole system that we have with the NCAA is just, it's, it's, it's just a mess and we can keep on making these little fixes like we always do. And then we have these unintended consequences that make even more problems. And and basically if the NCAA was a house, you would no longer be doing any more renovations or additions. You would just knock the, the thing down and build something else. Um, and, and really, so they're going to continue to do this forever with all these changes, and it's going to make more problems. And that's what, just what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and, and Buck's correct that you know the situation here would not affect guys like Cameron Kelly, but it does affect grad transfers that Carolina has had both some guys come in and some leave via that way. And you know, to me, I just think when you have someone like Jordan Brown from Carolina, who's entered the transfer portal. I mean, he's doing it because he obviously wants to go to a school where he will be getting some more playing time, which I think he should absolutely have the ability to to do. It just makes no sense to me that with coaches, they can leave whenever they want, can walk away, especially position coaches. And yet the NCAA is trying to make rules that keep the players locked in. It, I mean, Buck, I think that you just really hit the nail on the head in your column 
I just think it just reeks of very, very unfair um, policies that are going to really hurt players down the road. Yeah, and, you know, I'm glad for Jordan Brown. I hope, I'm really hoping that he already has his UNC degree. And if he does, and he's decided that, you know, hey, the running back room is going to be pretty crowded. Um, So I want to, you know, get my graduate degree. But at the same time, I want to keep doing what I love doing, which is playing football. Then who's to say that that's the school that he goes to should get penalized if he wants to enroll in a two-year program, um, and he, he's not going to be able to complete that in one year. It's just nonsensical. Uh, I don't know who drew this rule up, but, uh, you know, there, there's just way too much focus on doing things that isn't centered around the realities confronting the, you know, the student athletes as the NCAA call them. Or as, you know, we would call them, you know, the the athletes at the University of North Carolina. So that's kind of where I come down on it. Like I said, I completely agree with that, Buck. It is a very interesting discussion. And maybe we can revisit this topic if the NCAA does pass this rule. It's up for a vote coming up soon. So we'll see. But guys, let's go ahead and take one more very quick commercial break. When we get back, let's go ahead and preview the rest of the week. Uh, Don, want to get your thoughts on who might be coming to the spring game, if you've got maybe a very, very preliminary list for that one. So let's go ahead, take a break. We'll be right back. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. So, Don, right before we went to break, wanted to get your thoughts just briefly on who do you think may be expected to be in Chapel Hill for the spring game this Saturday? And I'll tell you what, actually, before you even get to a potential list, do you think that the coaching staff is making a big effort to have guys for this weekend like do you think that they're really placing a lot of priority on this being a big time recruiting event for this cycle oh absolutely and it's a it's a change from what fedora was doing the last couple of years um because of the fact that fedora felt like the uh the fan turnout wasn't something that he wanted to brag about and show off with uh with the recruits um but obviously mac brown's expecting a, a pretty good crowd for the spring game and uh you know him and um his coaches want to show it off to the recruits so this is this is definitely a, a a big weekend as far as getting guys on campus for sure not as big as you know the duke basketball game junior day or maybe even the junior day that was back in in uh february but um but they definitely want to get a bunch of guys to Chapel Hill on Saturday for sure. And then let's go ahead and talk about the potential list then. Do you have any idea, Don, of who might be there? Or if you don't really have specific names, do you think that the potential guys are something that Carolina fans should get excited about? Definitely. Uh, we, we will have the most uh, complete list, not a complete list, but the most complete list that you'll be able to find on Inside Carolina post it later on this week. I don't have the exact date for that, but just to kind of give you a little bit of a preview, which for those who are subscribers to Inside Carolina, this isn't going to be much of a preview because you've already know this information. We ran a story with uh, Jacoby Cresswell, four-star quarterback from Arkansas, who actually visit North Carolina, uh, what was it, I guess about... Uh, and, uh, oh, it was for the weekend of the of the uh, of the junior day for, that was held in conjunction with with the UNC Duke basketball game. He visited then. He he is tentatively planning on returning for the spring game. Um, he's one of the top. Um, he actually is one of two quarterbacks who hold a UNC scholarship offer. The other one is uh, Malik Hornsby, who Inside Carolina did a story on last week where he talks about uh, how he's taking an official visit to North Carolina this coming weekend. Um, so if you haven't read those articles, I strongly suggest you do to kind of, I guess, get your, um, get your bearings about what could potentially happen this, this weekend and what's going on with those two quarterbacks uh, recruitments, because obviously uh, the quarterback is, is, is probably the one position that is a big question mark for this class on who's going to fill that role. Um, and maybe we'll get some answers this weekend. To add to what Don had to say, I don't have any news about what recruits may or may not be there. 
But if you're a Inside Carolina subscriber and uh, you go to the Tar Pit Premium message board on a daily basis, then you already know that I write a column there every day. And on Wednesday, I'm going to be writing a column. Uh, it will come out Wednesday morning uh, about uh, some unusual inside Carolina plans we may have for the spring game. So uh, if you're not a inside Carolina subscriber, you're out of luck. But if you are, uh, tune in on Wednesday morning and you'll get some information about uh, what our plans happen to be. And they're a little different this year for the spring game. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, participation from some of our subscribers in that. So I'm, I'm no, no further spoilers are going to be coming from me until Wednesday morning. So I'll just leave it at that. Let me ask you this, Buck, and then we'll kind of wrap the podcast on this. You know, Don touched on the fact of the diff- of the difference in philosophies regarding the spring game between Mac Brown and former coach Larry Fedora. The spring game under former former coach Butch Davis had that one year where it was a killer crowd in Chapel Hill. The rest were okay. When you're looking at the spring game, where do you come down on it being used as a recruiting tool by a coaching staff? You know, I, I think it can be very valuable, and I think it was uh, it was ill-fated in 2010 because, you know, no sooner than North Carolina had its biggest spring game crowd ever, that's the very year that UNC runs into problems with the NCAA and uh, you know, Bush Davis gets scrapped, you know, two weeks before fall camp. And so it was sort of a, or not, not that year, but you know, the players got suspended. He got scrapped the next year, but in any event, it was sort of a great job by everybody involved, but circumstances overtook it and, uh, it sort of lost its value because of what came after that. Um, I, I do think that we can uh, forecast that there's going to be a larger than usual, and that's not setting the bar very high, spring game at UNC this year, simply because of the uh, increased uh, excitement and enthusiasm following Mac Brown's return um, and the associated developments around that. Uh, there's, there's more, you know, we can report at inside Carolina traffic on our end at inside Carolina has gone up uh, a great deal. Uh, a lot of that was associated with, uh, Mac Brown's hire and development since then. So I, I do expect we can see a foresee a larger than usual spring crowd this year. I don't know if it's going to rival 2010, uh, not sure that it is, but it, I think it'll be a very big crowd. And, you know, that, that certainly plays into the entire, you know, recruiting, um, theme and, and the mojo for recruiting. If you go to a spring game as a recruit and, you know, you go into this huge stadium, that suits seats, 60,000 people. And there's like 2,500 to 5,000 people there that that's not going to really, you know, uh, be a mover for you in terms of wanting to commit. And, but if there's a large vocal crowd, uh, you know, that might move the needle a little bit for you, but I think Don can probably comment on this a little better than I can. You know, if you make a list of one through 20 of the reasons why people, you know, recruits commit to one school over another, I don't know that spring game attendance ranks in the top 15 or not, but you know, it, it, it is a add on and it can be important. I think I agree. Uh, spring practice attendance is not, it's probably not in the top 20. I think though, that it is a representation of the fan base, whether you like it or not. And if a recruit, for example, Jacoby Cresswell, who is, uh, you know, his last visit was for his junior day. He got to see the basketball fan base, which is very strong. And, and that also is a representation of UNC's fan base overall. But um, if he were to come Saturday and there's 100 people in the, in the stands, 
that wouldn't speak all that highly of UNC's uh, passion for football in Chapel Hill and actually would probably just, I guess, reemphasize in his mind that it's a quote-unquote basketball school. So I think, though, that having a good turnout does help as far as the perception of UNC's fan base, as does the turnout for for games. Obviously, if you have a bad turnout for spring games, but you have really good turnouts for for regular season games, that's going to, you know, that's the regular season game is going to hold a lot more uh, more weight. Um, but uh, you know, recruits do one of the things that I think are is definitely in the top twenty of reasons why a recruit chooses a school is the passion of a fan base. And there's a lot of ways to kind of judge that in a recruit's mind. Some of it's just Twitter. You know, how many how many uh, UNC fans are hitting them up on Twitter. Um, but but some of it also is is what does it look like on game days? And as far as the actual spring game attendance not being so great the last few years, that UNC isn't the only school that's dealing with that. There's a lot of programs that really kind of scale back the um, the spring game stuff. But there are some programs like Nebraska and Alabama and Ohio State that uh, really kind of flourish and take advantage of it and really have you know pretty good crowds for it and uh, use that to their advantage with recruiting. Well, and I'll just end it on this. I think that the marketing for this year's spring game, spring game has been way, way, way better than what it has been over the last three, four, five previous seasons. So I think that is going to make a difference. I mean, I think there was one spring game where there was maybe one post about it total. This year, though, they've been sending out flyers encouraging people to spend the entire day in Chapel Hill. There's a race in the morning. There's a ton of Olympic sports that are going to be going on during the day. And then they want people to get into Keenan early so they can also enjoy that, get the families involved. All in all, hope that everyone listening to this, if you can make it to Chapel Hill on Saturday, be there. As Buck said, stay tuned for news on what Inside Carolina will be doing for that day. But guys, we'll go ahead and end this one. Thank you very much for talking to me and hope that you both have a good rest of the week. See you Enjoy guys later. Very much. Uh, especially in, enjoyed being with Don. <laughs> That's music to my ears. I hope we remember that when it comes to review time. I definitely will. And uh, it might also be a slap at John. I'm not going to say that it is, but uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. No comment. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.